The Naked DJs Podcast. Are they really naked? We know they expose themselves every day just so they can bring you the best of music. They like to stick it out there for everyone to hear. You can hear their podcast on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, we're going to talk about the power of creativity as I am joined by Maria Burrito. She is a New York-based contemporary art advisor, along with an author. In 2015, Maria was selected as one of the top 20 power players in the art world by Complex Magazine. She is also an author, and she has won several other awards, so we're going to be talking to her about how leaders use the power of creativity. Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and I'm thrilled to share this hour with the folks who are listening to. Hello, everybody, and thank you for being here. Well, you're originally from Venezuela, but like you say, you've been in New York for a long time. So start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself. Yes, I was born and raised in the capital of Venezuela, Caracas, and I moved to the States in um, the late 90s. And you won't believe what I was doing. I actually went to law school. I went to Harvard Law School. And you might wonder, well, why are you an art advisor and author and curator and all those wonderful things now? Well, the truth is that I was trying to follow the advice of my parents, that they thought that I had to pursue a career that was dependable and I needed to go to law school or medical school or become an engineer or something like that. And I, by default, ended up choosing the law career, of course, I did really well, but I hated it. And I was very miserable because my heart and my desires and my my willingness to do something in life that was meaningful was not being an attorney. So when I had my first child, I had already been practicing corporate law in big law firms in New York for about nine years. So when I had my first child, I really did a very deep inventory with my own self of the things that I wanted to do with my life. And I said to me, I just can't show or teach this child that I am someone who sold out on dreams of having an entrepreneurial path and a career where I felt motivated and excited every day. So I quit that job that was very secure to open a business in, a, in an area where I had no experience, no clients. And basically I had to start from zero. And it's been 13 years of that and I can't be happier. It's been an extraordinarily successful 
venture and I I think I owe it all or I'm pretty sure though that I owe everything that I have done to the power of my creativity and that's why I'm so invested in teaching this power to people in an easy and actionable way and that's the reason why I wrote this book how creativity rules the world that comes out in March because I I'm very invested in the thought that people have to do the best that they can with their ideas to profit from them and also to add purpose and depth to what they do. And I think that the pathway to get to that position in that place is to really nurture our creativity and to be very connected to the world that we live in and the circumstances that surround us so we can pivot and so we can face the changes that well I mean everybody who's listening we're getting into the second year of a pandemic so we are facing so many complicated circumstances that if we don't use our ideas we just get stuck right and we are stagnant and a lot of people don't understand that being creative is it's not about being an artist or it's not about arts and crafts and cutouts or anything like that but being being creative is having that ability to have ideas that benefit society through a business, right? Or, or through a practice and to be able to materialize those ideas. So that's what, that's my, that's my mantra. Well, you, you call yourself a contemporary art advisor to tell us what that means and, and what you actually do. I build art collections for my clients. So what that job entails is I am the eyes and ears of those people. So I go to art fairs and to galleries constantly because that's my job. And basically, I tell these clients of mine, this is what you should acquire. This is an artist that I feel fits your uh, personality or your the collection that you've already built. This is an artist that I believe is going to increase in value. This is an artist that is expressing right now the moment that we're living in a way that is so fresh and interesting. So when people collect, they want to have both the aesthetic and emotional benefits that come with collecting art, but they also want to have an asset that gains value over time. So that is my main job. And so that is um, like a financial advisor in a way, but a lot more fun, honestly. And sometimes I get to work with artists who are working with the, my client would say, well, I want a specific piece for my staircase, or I want a specific piece for my garden, or I want a specific painting for this foyer. So I get to work with artists in handling those steps of commissions and being the bridge between the client and the artist. But that is just one aspect of what I do because as I'm telling you, I wanted to extrapolate everything that I have learned about building a business from scratch and also working with very, very creative people and extrapolate that and bring that to a level where everybody can benefit from it regardless of what you do. And so, you know, I have a lot of things that I do in my business. I also do consulting for companies 
work. The, the companies hire me so that I can bring to them the best ideas that I have seen in the market lately. And I can also translate to them how artists work and think because when artists are very, I mean, they can be an extrovert and everything, but I don't think that they can explain the way by which they reach their ideas or conclusions because that's that would imply that they have to be too much in their heads or that they have been writing and codifying what they do. And so that's very difficult. So companies of all sorts, technology and real estate and whatnot, they call me and they say, well, we want you to come and give us a workshop on how create people in, in the creative fields think. And I tell them always, you are already creative. I'm just going to translate so that you understand how to apply these things in your life. Well, you also created a TV streaming series in yes. 2019. Tell us why you decided to create that and tell us what that was all about. Yes, that was uh, PBS produced it and I wrote it and I hosted it. And it's called The Sea Files with Maria Brito. And if you go to PBS online, no matter the state, you're going to be able to find it online because the the cable one is on the tri-state area so only new york new jersey and connecticut but if you want to stream it online is available and also the company that pbs uh created to host all these things is called all arts tv so all arts tv also has it and so what i was experiencing is that there was a little bit of a, a, a moment and it continues to be where artists were expressing so many things about social justice and so many issues that had to do with race and gender, uh, income gap, things like that, that Americans are feeling and, and have been affected. And sometimes there there isn't a easier path to discuss a topic if you do it through art and artists because it's a little less contentious than you know trying to get through these topics with politicians and things like that so I thought it was an important moment to sit down with these artists and talk about these things in a very safe environment and uh, all the artists that I interviewed in for this series are very, very different. And I wanted them to come with their own take and how they see society and the, how they see the moment for the purposes of expanding our own minds and our own hearts and our own brains, right? I mean, once we are into these conversations with people who are so different, what we wanna learn from them is how to see the world from a different vantage point. And that is part of what it is to be an entrepreneur in this day and age and what it is to be a leader and what it is to be a successfully creative person is having that willingness to move around and see things from a different perspective. And so that was the objective of that series. And I think it was accomplished and I'm very proud we did it. It's um, for anybody who has ever worked on television is just grueling, it takes hours and uh but it but but it was fun and it was a wonderful experience i'm really really happy about that well give us some tips on on things that we can do as the audience and as people to become more creative 
I think that part of the problem of why are we aren't thinking through better ideas is because we're extremely distracted. And that is because we are attached to our phones. Uh, we are checking social media constantly. We are suffocated with news uh, that are billboards on the street and things like that. And I think that if people were to sit down and say, I'm going to monotask, right? And so because people sometimes feel that they have this pride for their ability to multitask and the price is very, very high because once you have your attention divided into like five different tasks, all of them are going to suffer as much as your creativity. And part of being creative is paying attention because the riches are in the niches. So when you know and you're paying attention to the margins or you know and you're paying attention to what's happening in certain spaces of society or where people are not speaking out loud, those are the places where people have to pay the most attention to find opportunities that belong to your, they can of course belong to your own industry, but you have to be paying attention to those things and if you're consistently consumed and distracted by everything that is happening, that it's not necessarily so positive for your business or career, then you're going to miss out on those opportunities. So I always recommend just staying very, uh, paying attention. If, if it's possible, just take, you know, half hour a day to do just one task and also take five minutes to be in silence and to think. It's almost like, you need to allow your brain to take those breaks to be able to see with clarity. And, you know, this has been for the past also two years, people have suffered from burnouts and breakdowns. And as you know, we're going through the great resignation. And so I love to, to tackle this because was also one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I had to dig again very deeply and see back and look back and all the things that I've done and why I took, I had the courage to create a career that was safe and where I had to spend money going through school and time and, you know, taking the bar exam and practicing in law firms and building something. And I just simply hated it. And I think that a lot of people have questioned the jobs that they have, the things that they do in this time, because, uh, you know, the pandemic came to for us to really question our lifestyles and the things that we do. And so I, I, I think that for people who want to be creative, you have to also accept and embrace the idea that you're always going to be changing no matter what you do. And that means changes within your business, changes within your career, tweaks, pivots, adjustments, and obviously, from somebody who wants to go from something as radical as like what I did, for example, it's never really too late. It really, it's worse to stay forever in a place where you are so miserable than to start something new when you are 70. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. I think that I, I respect so much people who take those chances or decide to do something new. Because it is a that is actually a testament of self-love and self-respect that is also very important for the quality of leadership, right? I mean, a leader is somebody who inspires and motivates others. And so if 
you can do those things at any age. You're just asserting your quality of leadership and creativity. Give us some tips on making the concept of innovation accessible to everyone. Well, see, this is very, it's an excellent question. The word innovation is from the 1600s and it means to make new. And for some reason, when that word was adopted in the English language and it was brought to us as we know it in our century, our 21st century, it became the realm of tech people. And the truth is that it does not belong just to them. It belongs to anybody who wants to make something new. And what is to make something new is that you take what exists and you improve it and you make it relevant for what you do. And that is the case with every invention and every uh, creative and important upgrade in history, right? And so I think that, for example, calling yourself an innovator, an innovator may sometimes feel that it's pompous or that is uh, something that it does not belong to you. But I think one, one thing people should do is to claim those ideas and concepts for themselves and embrace them and see themselves as innovators. People, if you are an accountant and you just found a way to save money to your company or you just found a process to do something better, you found a glitch and that is an innovation. And it doesn't matter that you're not inventing the cure to cancer and that you're not inventing the iPhone. It doesn't really matter. It matters that it's an innovation that makes something new and makes it better in your industry. And same thing is applicable for anybody. If you are a personal trainer and you invent a whole new set of exercises and a new regime and you have uh, you use bands and cords and bowls in a way that nobody else is doing. You're an innovator. And so I think that we have been tricked a little bit by a system that only wants to benefit like science people or technology people with these words of creativity and innovation. While the truth is that they do belong to everybody. They, they, they are for for us to take and if actually we would allow ourselves to be more integrated with those concepts and celebrate more our little upgrades that we do in our businesses and that we offer to our clients and our customers or to society or or to our you know bosses and companies we would be better off and much more satisfied as workers and business owners than if we would continue listening to, oh, innovation is just for Apple and Google. No, no, that's not true. That's radically wrong. Well, tell us about, for those who might want to create an art collection, how can you create an art collection on a budget? Look, there are, it's a huge explosion right now of artists, uh, young artists, that some of them have been self-taught, some of them have um, left school very recently. And this is a phenomenon that is happening everywhere because art is, being an artist really, I think is one of the most important professions of the future because they see things differently. 
And also they have this ability that I was telling you to pay attention and to absorb and digest and process the now in the current moment in a way that many people absolutely cannot. And that's because, you know, they are sensitive people who see the world differently. And that's what I was telling you before. So I think that if you live in a city that has a small gallery, you can always go and participate and ask questions. You can also go to the very emerging art fairs. Um, most of the emerging art fairs happen in cities like Miami and New York and Los Angeles. And, but, you know, that are everywhere. And now they also have branches of this emerging art fairs online. For example, there is a future art fair that works just with emerging artists that are things that start like at $200, you know what I mean? And so that's how you start. It's, it's like, oh, okay, I have 200 bucks to spend. I'm going to buy one thing. And then in two months, maybe I have 150. I buy another little work on paper or something, right? And um, I just find fascinating because look, uh, there were artists when Jean-Michel Basquiat started in on the streets of New York he is work away, but he was also selling some of his things for like $10, you know, and those things that nowadays cook is like whatever he was giving away for 10 bucks right now is like 250,000 or 300,000 because there were little works on paper and little sketches. So never shy away from supporting a young artist because you never know what's going to happen. Right. I mean, of course, it takes a lot of like persistence and it takes to have good backers and it takes but at the end of the day, I think it's something that you can cultivate with passion and knowledge and education. And nowadays, everything is kind of out there and it's available online and you can do a lot of due diligence and research without having to leave your house. Right. Which is kind of uh, how we've been in for the past two years. So I think that people can start art collections if they dedicate themselves to be curious about the market and research things online and buy them online too if they if they so desire and not have to spend a lot of money and if they just commit to doing that over the time over time they will build in our collection tell us about nfts tell us what they are and how do they work well nfts are little contracts that are written with a bunch of letters and numbers in a block on the blockchain, right? And so the blockchain is a ledger, right? Like when you do a transaction in, in the world um, of finance or an accountant, if you're an accountant, you have to write, you know, every day your purchases and whatnot in a, in a paper ledger, right? That's where you record, that's your registry system. So the NFTs are this bunch of letters and numbers that are written on the ledger that is called the blockchain is like your, you know, virtual, uh, if you will, ledger. And so the NFT is what backs up anything and it does not for art. You can back anything up with an NFT. I mean, the the um, former CEO of Twitter sold his first tweet for charity and it was backed by an NFT, right? So what that means is that you can literally sell absolutely anything you want and just have that string of numbers and, and letters 
backing you up and you can transact that because it exists on a ledger. So let's say if I would have been the person who bought that tweet, then I would have kept those numbers and that whole combination of numbers and letters for me. And if I wanted to sell it to you, Curtis, I'll say, hey, Curtis, I'm going to sell this tweet for you. And you are going to pay me 20 million bucks with Bitcoin or, or you know, Ethereum, whatever, Ethereum, any sort of like whatever um, uh, cryptocurrency we, we decide to transact on. And then it belongs to you after that, right? So then you are the owner of the first tweet that, you know, it was ever sent and you own the NFT. So that, why is this so important for artists? So artists are creating digital art and they are backing it up with an NFT. So you collect the art, which is, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a JPEG, right? But backed up by an NFT. And so for, for Gen Z and certain millennials too, this became very interesting because remember, this is really a generation that practically lives online and socializes online and they play video games like Fortnite and whatever, where they buy skins and they watch concerts and whatnot. So it's a very, very natural thing to want to have an art collection that is digital, but it's backed by an NFT. So that are bragging rights that are, um, well, you're also the, the one and only owner of that thing and you can transact with it. But what is becoming interesting is that in the, in the near future, those NFTs will also be issued to back up tangible art. And so what it will do for the art market is it'll lend a lot of transparency, both around pricing and also around ownership. So you can trace who owns what at any given time because it's written on the ledger. Or at least you can get to the person who owns it because the ledger will always tell you who, because the artists will have a record of what are the numbers and letters that identify that NFT. And what the artist can do too, which is currently not a part of the United States legislation, is that every time that piece of art is sold, then the artist can receive a percentage as a royalty. And currently, if you buy a painting and you sell it at auction, let's say you buy it for $100 and you sell it at auction for $10,000, the artist doesn't get anything. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's just a purely transactional activities. Like if I buy an apartment for for, you know, 100,000 and I sell it in two years for 200,000, I don't have to give anything to the developer or, I, I don't, you know, nothing, obviously. But art is different. And, um, you know, artists can program royalties in the NFT itself so that every time it is transacted and sold through the blockchain, they get they get something. And, you know, everything um, right now, this, I mean, there are certain NFT uh, portals and online websites that allow people to use their credit card and whatnot. But for the most part, it has to be all linked to your blockchain wallet. So it's a very metaverse slash, you know, crypto world that for most people is quite strange. Uh, but we're moving in that direction. What's your prediction for the future of art? Well, I was saying before, I think artists have an enormous capacity 
to reinvent themselves and to adapt to circumstances. And that's why I believe that artists and being an artist in any shape, way, shape or manner or also being a designer is part of what will be the profession of the future. And so I think it's important for people to appreciate and start seeing the world more through the eyes of an artist to and, and, and apply those points of view to their own businesses. I think that the art market will continue to grow. I think there will be, uh, like we will continue to see more black artists that we have been seeing an enormous amount of super talented and brilliant black artists in the past 10 years. But we, those, the, the, now there is like the floodgates have opened and there is more recognition, more desire for those artists to express their worlds and their points of view. And that will continue to grow. Um, and obviously this whole idea of the, the, the blockchain, the metaverse, the NFTs, I think is ripe with opportunities because right now it's all in its infancy. And if you can imagine that people are paying this exorbitant amount of money for NFTs when the market is still so, so very young, once it is more developed and people understand maybe what to do with it or how to have a house in the metaverse and hang things on the wall, it's all very strange. I know it is, but that's where we're heading. And I'm I'm kind of glad that artists are at the forefront of that movement, that, that movement and that shift because it feels a little bit more interesting and genuine that you know, if it were just like tech people for their sake of being tech people doing it, right? So I I think that it's something that has to be watched closely. And I think it's going to give a lot of material and a lot of opportunities for investment and for the artists themselves in the next in the next five years. I think we are seeing things happening so fast that it's very hard to say what's going to be happening in the next 10 years, right? We don't know. We don't really know what's going to, like predictions and things like that are a little bit, um, right now, we just can't trust them <laughs> that much because we have seen that a lot of the certainties that we thought we had are not so certain. But I trust that we will have a, an interesting mix of analog and technology and that the art world will continue to be at the forefront of many, many changes. Tell us about the books that you have written as well as your newsletter. Yes. Well, you know, in the past, I published two uh, coffee table books that were the beginning of how I transitioned also from being an attorney to being a, an art advisor and a consultant. And I mean, it was super cool because they came really early after I transitioned. And so it was one of them won two awards. Um, it's, the book is called Out There and it won the best uh, you, best uh, book award in, in, in the United States for art and design. And my, my current book, the one that's coming up in March, as I said before, it's called How Creativity Rules the World, The Art and Business of Turning Your Ideas into Gold. And this is a book for entrepreneurs, it's a book for leaders, it's a book for people who are in companies and they just really want to maximize 
the power of their ideas, or even if they say, I'm not creative, you know, this book is going to actually debunk every myth around that. And it's going to show them that they can be creative. That is just a bunch of attitudes and habits and the amalgamation of those things. Because a lot of people feel, oh my God, I'm not creative. I wasn't born with it. Well, creativity is not genetic. Creativity is something that actually we are all born with it. And as we get older with formal education, we start losing our grip on that and our edge. And so this book bridges that gap between where you are right now and where you want to be with your ideas. And I think, again, like this is an important book in the sense that I was ambitious about writing a definitive guide that gives people a blueprint and that you don't have to go anywhere else to find ideas or to generate them. Just stay in this book. And that's why I'm so very excited about it and to have people um enjoy it and uh and you know i, I always say this is uh, relative is relative because you pay 26 dollars for a hardcover 15 dollars for an ebook or whatever and i always say in this book you're gonna have millions of dollars inside of it with ideas for you to expand to grow to find opportunities to spot things right and so i'm excited about it and um you can find it anywhere where books are sold. So please pre-order it. I'm also offering uh, for your listeners a free access to my creativity online program, which is super comprehensive. It's, it's broken down in video modules. It has PDFs with the recaps and the exercises. So if you buy the book and you send us the confirmation to book at mariabrito.com, we will be more than happy to grant you free access to that course that originally was $300, but we're giving it for free throughout the, pre, the pre-launch the pre phase of the book. So that's going to be good until March 15th. After that, we're not going to give it away anymore. And my newsletter is called The Groove, and it comes out every Tuesday, and it's, um, it's weaving stories about artists and entrepreneurs and connecting them through data and psychology and things like that. And it's it's also very geared towards leaders and people who are in the, you know, into entrepreneurship or people who have uh, businesses or people who want to have a business or people who are working companies or is small and large and they just they just feel that, you know, they want to learn something new. I think that we are all in this world with our responsibility to learn and also to leave the world in a much better place than how we found it, right? I mean, I think that's part of growth and it's part of being generous is what we give more than what we get. So I, I feel that I love giving this newsletter for free because a lot of people are charging now for the newsletters and I'm not understanding that, but I love to give this newsletter for free because um, I think it has helped a lot of people find different points of view too. And it has helped a lot of people to think through their own circumstances uh, with a fresh set of eyes. And that's what we need. I mean, we need to start seeing things with a fresh set of eyes. We need to start finding blessings in, in things that may be difficult. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all about being of service, right? I, I think that's very important, being of service 
is uh, one of the most satisfying and fulfilling things that anybody can do. Well, you mentioned your creativity program. Kind of tell us what people can expect when they check out that program. Yes. So it is divided in four core modules, and each module has maybe about between five and ten like bite-sized lessons in, in videos. It's a very easy-to-use portal, so people can go at their own pace and just stop and, you know, continue the next day and whatnot, because it's always going to be there in the portal. And so it is uh, very practical too. It's, there's nothing about like theory or anything. It's, it's about showing people the techniques and the habits and, and the attitudes that they have to cultivate daily. So there are exercises for each one of the lessons and that people have to do. The point is that People who do the exercises fare way much more better than people who just go through the materials without really doing the exercises. And the point is that this were put together, you know, throughout years and years of research that I have conducted interviewing psychologists in Ivy League schools and things like that. So it's all very uh, well thought. And uh, there, um, there are bonuses, bonuses that are, there is a whole module about money and creative mindset and about recept being receptive to what comes with creativity and what comes with our contributions to society. Because I also believe that if you're creative, you have to be compensated for that. If you're the best person who can give the best ideas in your business, in your job, in your practice, whatever you do, then you have to get paid for that. So I have a lot of... Um, uh, bonuses around that, interviews with creative people, et cetera, et cetera. So they can expect to spend whatever time they want to spend. I mean, there are people who just can go and they finish the whole thing in four weeks or because, you know, they finish in four weeks. There are a lot of people who just get crazy and they just do everything in two days because they just got so immersed in it. There are people who spend a month going through it at their own time. But it's, as I'm saying, it's very flexible. It's very well done because uh, the platform where it's hosted, it's really, really excellent. So it's uh, it makes everything user friendly. And, you know, it, I am a, a firm believer that there is uh, we also need to be in the mindset of self-actualization and growth and learning something new. I mean, there's nothing negative about that, right? Like I've never heard somebody who said, oh my God, I'm smarter today and I hate myself because of that. No, I think that learning is also for me a passion. And that's why I sort of like never stop researching and never stop asking questions and being curious because it not only keeps me alive, but I think it also gives me a fuel to, to keep wanting other things that are I'm very satisfied with my life, but I always feel that I need to learn something else because it actually feeds my soul. Go ahead and throw out your contact information. How can people stay in touch with you, connect with you on social media and check out all that you're doing? Yes. So come to my website. It's Maria Brito.com. So that's B as in boy, R as in rose, I as in island, T as in Tom. O as in Orlando.com. And you will have, you find links there for everything. You find links for my Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, 
you find a form if you need to contact me and send me an email. You also have the link to the book where you can see what you have to do if you want to have free access to the course. So that's the hub where everything happens, because if I were to be giving you each one of the handles for everything, you're never going to find me because it's too much. But I think that if you go to mariabrita.com, you're going to find me there and you will have um, every icon, every link, every handle, everything that you need to get in touch with me. Close this out with some final thoughts. Kind of tell us about some of the awards that you won throughout your decorated career as a artist and, you know, just give us some final thoughts. Well, thank you, Curtis. I, you know, I, I received a couple of awards for my book, my first book that I told you the best, it won two um, best book awards in the design and our categories. I was named by uh, Complex Magazine as one of the 20 top players in in, in, the, in the art world, I was named by Art News as one of the people who gets to shape the art world as the innovators who gets to shape the art world. Uh, you know, I think that I, I feel happy about all these recognitions, but at the end of the day, I think that where I feel the happiest is by surveys, like, like servicing my people, servicing my clients, giving, you know, to my readers and, and my and my followers value. I think it's very important that for me, every time that I set an intention of what I'm gonna do today or what I'm gonna do before I say something is, am I giving value with what I'm saying? Am I, or, you know, like what is the intention? And, and honestly, the intention for me is to really enrich people's lives through art and culture or through creativity and knowledge, empowering people so that they can be as fortunate as I have been, especially as I, I transitioned from quitting a career that I, I despised. And I think that that's, that's one of my, my most important teachings for people is that I have the experience to say I did something that most people are afraid of doing. And I just want to encourage people to both be of service, do things of value, and do things they love. Because the, the human condition is, is primed always to thrive in the right environment and, and under the right conditions. And those things can't happen if you are not in, the, in a place that you love. So I, I think that we all owe it to ourselves to find the, the jobs and careers and occupations and things to do where our soul shines and we are completely happy and, and become incredibly fulfilled uh, because we're doing what we love. Ladies and gentlemen, MariaBurrito.com. Creativity rules everything. So be sure to share this episode, follow, rate, review after listening. And Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Maria, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your expertise. Thank you, Curtis. And thank you, everybody who listened. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your questions. Uh, brilliant questions. Really fun time. Thank you so much. 
For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.